Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. see you. Good to see you. Um, if you are uh, anything like me, this, this week has been sort of a, a tough one. It's been a sort of a toughie uh, in my own personal life and as well, just when I look into the world and see what's sort of going on. And um, as a preacher, God sometimes have sort of a funny way of doing things where you sort of go through something and then he have you preach about it. And so uh, this morning is sort of uh, no different uh, than one of those situations. Um, I'll say last night, um, at the end of a tough week, my wife and I were sort of laying down and we figure, you know what, we're just going to drift off into sleep, you know. Just don't want to think about anything difficult. Don't want to think about any, you know, problems or issues that's going around in the world. Just going to drift off. And so as I'm about to drift off, I say a little soft, quiet prayer. And then she says, hey, have you saw this one? I say, oh, no, not one of these. And so I roll over, and, and she has like a video, a funny video. And we're laughing together and cracking up for about an hour. I show her some videos that I had in my archive that I was waiting for the right appropriate funny time. And we're sharing this, and we're cracking up. We're laughing and it sort of turned our whole week around a bit, just in that one hour. Then all of a sudden, as she's showing me a video, she gets a call coming through. And she said, wait a minute. This person doesn't usually call at this time. I got to answer this. Babe. Hold on, wait. So she picks up the phone, and her cousin is saying, oh, my goodness, no. She's dead. She's dead. She, she died. And I'm like, oh, my Lord. Again. And so another person in the family has passed away. And that roller coaster of a week that we've been having, it, it, it still was continuing. And so I don't know how you feel this morning or what place in life you find yourself in. But this morning we're going to be talking about God and how he sympathizes with us when we go through problems in life. This morning, we're continuing our series that we have called The Heart of Christ. And today, the title of our message is called The Heart of the High Priest. Many times throughout Scripture, we see Jesus doing things and we wonder, man, what's in his heart? How is he, how is he feeling when he does these things? In Matthew 14, after the beheading of his cousin, his loved one, Jesus goes on this healing spree. He goes and he heals many people. He steps out of a boat. The scripture says getting out of the boat, he saw many people coming towards him who were sick. And Getting out of the boat, he had compassion for the people and he healed them. Miracle after miracle. There we also see him feeding 5,000 people, more than 5,000. Then he tells his disciples, hey, y'all get in the boat. I'm going to catch up with you. They're on the boat, and there's a violent storm that comes. And all of a sudden, 
They see this figure walking on the water. It's Jesus. Jesus says to Peter, come on out of the boat. Join me and walk. Peter jumps out, starts walking with Jesus. Then he looks at the waves and he starts to sink. Jesus goes over to Peter and says, hmm, you have little fear. Why did you doubt? Now, for me, I don't necessarily know what Peter's heart was, what was going through his heart. But it's hard for me to believe that he doubted that Jesus was able to save him. He was able to physically keep the storm from harming him. He has been watching Jesus do all kinds of miracles. Healing the sick. Transforming, reshaping nature. Why is he doubting? And for me, sometimes, if I'm honest, I doubt the way that Jesus feels about me. When I'm going through things, if I'm honest, his, his grace is, is different. The way he relates to people, it's different than any other human being would. And so I believe that's the reason why the songwriter says amazing grace. It, because it's hard to believe that God would, would, would love us to this degree that he would step out of heaven, out of paradise, come to a sinful and evil world, take on flesh and get funky and musky and love us to this degree where he will forget about our wrongs. Not only will he cover them, but he will totally remove them. What other interaction, what other relationship do we have with people to compare to his love for us? And so sometimes it's hard to fathom. It's hard to really grab onto that and believe. And so that's exactly what we'll be discussing this morning. My prayer is that God would see our hearts this morning and he would work on sort of that dis-ease that we have. That dis-ease that make us say, man, how does God feel about me now? Has his love for me changed? And so right now, I'll just open up with a quick prayer. Father, as we gather here as a church, Lord, we just ask that your spirit will speak to us through your word. That you would help us as it pertains to understanding and trusting in your love and compassion and your sympathy for us. In your son Jesus' name. So that we might elevate this topic a little bit more, I want us to take a look at the fact that we sin. In Romans 3.23, the scripture says, all have sinned. Falls short of the glory of God. John, not Pastor John, but the Apostle John says that if we say that we have no sin, then we lie and the truth is not in us. So the overarching question that I have for you this morning is, how do you view God when you sin? How do you view God? How do you believe he's looking at you? Does he have his hand stretched out and offers peace? Or does his hand stretch out offering rejection? Stay away. How do you view God when you sin? I spent about three years as a massage therapist and I met all types of people. I worked at a chiropractic office off of 
Oakland Park Boulevard, and I met all types of people who believed all types of stuff. There was one particular guy that I met who was, um, he was a, uh, an atheist. We had some very difficult conversations. I try to share God with these people while they're sitting there doing therapy. I figure, you can't run away from this now. <laughs> and so, 10 years ago was the first time that I had a conversation with a practicing Muslim. 10 years ago was the first time I had a conversation with a person who was a Hebrew Israelite. And after every conversation with these people who believe different things about God, I left those conversations feeling pretty confident. I shared the gospel. God would use the words that I said one day, and this person may very well believe. Every conversation, I felt that way. But there was one guy. His name was Rudolph Stevens. I will never forget him. Rudolph was a homeless man who was a military veteran. And unfortunately, Rudolph just saw too much. You know, some people just see too much. Go to the military, just see too much. Rudolph went over. Uh, oftentimes, we see other countries while we stand on American soil. Rudolph was able to go on another country and look back and see America. And what he saw blew his mind. I mean, tore Rudolph up. And so every time I tried to have a conversation with Rudolph, it just didn't quite catch. I don't know if Rudolph was shot in the hip or something, but whenever he talked, he would just sort of do small circles like this. And he'd say, brother, I hear you. But uh, I just got to the point, brother, where people just don't care, Cody. People just don't care. And I say, well, look here, Rudolph. I want to tell you something. God cares. God loves you, Rudolph. And this is what Rudolph said to me, and it stuck. He says, look, I'm going to tell you just like I tell everybody else. I can't serve no God who sits up in the sky with his mean old face and his long white beard looking down at me, judging me. I say, well, wait a minute, Rudolph. That's not our God. That's not the God we believe in. Our God is one who loves Rudolph, why don't you come to church with me? This Sunday, I pick you up. I give you some lunch. And I want you to see that the God that we believe in, the God of the Bible, he's not like that. He's a God of love. Rudolph said, all right, I'll go with you. But I don't know. I don't know if it's going to work. But I'll go with you. I said, all right, cool. And if I'm honest, mentally, you just sort of know the right things to say. You just know the right stuff to say. You know what is the right answer to put on the paper. But in my heart, exactly how Rudolph described God, when I sin, that is who I see. That is who I struggle to see. I struggle seeing past that. If I am honest. It wasn't until recently where I noticed, wait a minute, that needs correction in my heart. Same thing applies to many of us today. Sin coupled with shame causes us to lose our appetite for God. And depending on where we believe our relationship stands with God, I mean, are we good? I mean, is, is, are we at peace? I know I just did that. 
We're sort of trying to work our way back in good standing, you know. Maybe if I say hi to a few more people, me and God will be good. Maybe if I put a smile on my face a little bit longer throughout the day, me and God will be just fine. And then sometimes, if we don't feel like we've reached that point where we're at peace, we don't really feel like doing anything spiritual. We don't feel like praying because shame keeps us away. Sometimes even Sunday morning, it's not just that physically we don't feel like going to church. Sometimes because of sin, it spoils our appetite and our shame tells us God is looking at us with a face of anger and disgust. This has to be resolved. We worry if God has changed the way he feels about us. We measure God's heart by our human standards. We say to ourselves, man, I know my love for people runs dry. God's have to do the same. But we forget who God really is. We forget that he's God. We forget that his love doesn't have limitations. Ours does. We forget that his love actually endures forever. So let's take a look at what the scripture says. Fortunately, I believe that the cure for our heart dis-ease as it relates to us having peace with God is found right here in Hebrews Chapter 4, verses 15 through 16, we read, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help. In the time of need. What could we learn from this passage? Well, we could learn that the cure for this is found right there in verse 15. The first part. It says we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. The sympathy of Christ allows us to see that not only is he the God who knows all things, but he's a God who truly understands. We must trust that Jesus understands. First thing that we see in that verse that stands out is the fact that the passage calls him our high priest. Now, the job of a high priest is to go before God, offer sacrifices, and intercede on the behalf of God's people. The high priests of Israel were the Levites. The Levites would go into the Holy of Holies, and they would go before God, offer these sacrifices, and God would say, on this particular day, which is the Day of Atonement, I will forgive their sins for one year. But the priest had to also offer sacrifices for his own sins. The scripture says that through that system, it could never be ultimate. We needed someone who could step in and ultimately solve this problem for us. Jesus Christ, who is completely sinless, comes on the scene. The scripture says he's the high priest. He's the eternal high priest. He offers a sacrifice one time, and it is eternal. 
it lasts forever. The scripture says that on the basis that he has an indestructible life, it guarantees that he could make peace for us through all eternity with Jesus Christ and our God. And so Jesus, being our high priest in John 17, he goes and he prays on our behalf right before going to the cross. When our relationships with people drain out, we must understand that we have a God who understands. When things go bad, we have a God who feels what we feel. We have a God who suffers. Isaiah 53 says that he was a man of suffering. He went through things far greater than we could even fathom. When our friends turn their back, when our family tell us, hey, look, sorry, I can't do it this time. When we see people advancing in life and it just feels like they're laughing at us as they're passing by. When we feel like we've lost our chance at significance. When we feel like, God, I don't really want to take my life, but I just don't feel like living. He understands. We have a God who went through this life. We have a God who fully comprehends what it feels like to suffer. He's not like a friend on the phone who says, child, I get it. No, I get it. But it goes deeper than that. He's the friend who is able to step into the pit and suffer with us. He comforts us during our times of struggle. He sympathizes with us. He knows how difficult it is to face temptation. So my question for you is, are you going to Jesus who is able to sympathize? Or are you just settling for people who could never fully understand? The next thing that we can learn from this passage is that we should trust that Jesus saved. Trust that in our heart that Jesus saves. In verse 15, C, we see that it says that he was without sin. Since he has experienced everything that we are experiencing, he has experienced it even at a greater level, yet without sin. He was victorious in every way. There's an author who says temptation is like this. A man who's traveling against the wind. And he's battling against the wind. He's trying to keep it up with the wind blowing him. And eventually he just falls and gives out. Gives out, gives up on temptation too soon. Jesus Christ comes to earth. He faces and he battles temptation. He actually sees temptation at its greatest strength, at its full force. And he wins? That is our God. A God who is victorious over sin. So when I say he saves, he's the only one who can save. He's the only one who sees our sin and can jump in and help us defeat it. Because not only is he the God who sits on high, but he's the God who experienced our suffering. And so we should go to him. We should ask him, God, save us and fully understand that he is capable 
and that his heart for us is to save us, not to watch us suffer, not to watch us just sit there. He desires to save. The next thing that we should learn from this passage is that we should trust that his heart is filled with mercy and grace. Verse 16a says, Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. What does your prayer life look like? How would you characterize it? What feelings do you feel when you're praying? In what manner are you praying? Do you pray out of sort of guilt where you feel like you're going before God and the God that you see in your mind or you think about is looking at you in sort of disgust or anger? You did it again? Are you praying in sort of shame? Are you praying in doubt? God, I know you up there. I doubt if you really understand. But you say I should pray. Many of us do not pray with boldness because we don't trust that his heart is filled with mercy and grace. We'd pray with this boldness if we actually trust that in his heart, while we're praying to him, he is it is immeasurable how much grace and mercy he has for us. Stored up, waiting to give. That is the God who we are praying to. Now mentally, again, our mind connects with that. But that is not how we know God, is it? We don't know him just like he's just some test. We know him from communion with him. We know him from our relationship with him and through his word. We know him from our heart. Our heart dictates our actions more than our mind does. We have to make sure that we are healed from this dis-ease that we feel in our relationship with God. Because on the cross, Jesus finished. He finished that work. We don't have to work and strive for a good relationship with God. He finished that work if we believe in Jesus Christ. It is done. We no longer have to work for it. Now, we do have to have faith, and faith, real faith, comes with works. But in our relationship with God, we must trust that there is no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.